Are you a Catholic woman who loves your faith, but finds certain aspects of living it out challenging and confusing? Are you a Catholic wife striving for a healthy, holy marriage and sex life, but don't know where to turn for straightforward, faithful, nitty-gritty answers to some of your deep and delicate questions? Are you a Catholic mom who's tired of the compare and despair game we all fall victim to on social media, and are just in need of some solidarity as you discover your own unique motherhood? Are you tired of the sunshine and rainbows pitch and want to lean into the both and of the mess that happens when the truths of our faith get lived in a fallen world? Well, if that's where you find yourself, you're in the right place. Hi, I'm Emily Frazee, your host of the Total Wine Podcast. I'm here to dig deep and tackle topics that we are all curious about, but maybe too afraid to ask. I'll answer it all with honesty and humor because living the faithful life can make you either laugh or cry. And well, laughing burns more calories. Welcome to the show. Hey y'all, today's episode gets an intro of its own. Today's a very, very special episode. I am joined by two of my very dear friends, uh, Mary Bruno and Bridget Bissacker. Mary is, of course, my co-founder for Fanbase and the executive director. She's also the founder of White Lotus Blooming and a Creighton practitioner. And she's even written a book, which she self-published last year, uh, called 12 Stripes Deep. And it's her memoir of her journey of infertility. It's an amazing book. Um, Highly recommend checking that out. And then my dear friend, Bridget Bissacker, who is the founder of Managing Your Fertility, an amazing website for Catholic and Catholic curious women who are wanting to know more about NFP and just get practical resources to get started and to succeed in the practice. Just two amazing women who I'm so flipping grateful to know and so excited to share with you in this way here. Uh, Both of these women, I just, they have enriched me so much personally and professionally. The more I talk with Mary, the more I understand about, you know, as I'll share in this episode, just the understanding of spiritual motherhood through her example and through her life as an infertile woman. And Bridget and I, she just, she is like my go-to woman for just keeping myself grounded when it comes to business stuff. Um, And we just, I, I love, I love talking with these two women. And what I'm bringing to you today is a conversation that we have a lot between the three of us about this and all sorts of other things. And that's what I'm, I'm inviting you into the conversations that we have. We three are professional women in this space who have done so much research and so much digging into church teaching and how it applies in real life, how it applies in our own personal lives. Uh, but, but we're three friends who struggle with these things, who, who want to tease us out, who don't want to tease it out alone. We, we bring these ideas and things that we have into conversation with one another and tease these things out together and support each other and uh, encourage one another. And so I hope that as you listen to today's episode, that there's kind of two big takeaways. Number one, obviously we're going after the ideology of contraceptive or that NFP can be used with a contraceptive mentality. And if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to go back to episode eight and uh, listen to that because I quote so much of actual church teaching, canon law, the catechism, encyclicals, so on and so forth, of what the church actually teaches about NFP and sex and marriage. And fundamentally, 
the idea that NFP can be used with a contraceptive mentality is rooted in a rejection of all of that church teaching. It's not an acceptance of real church teaching. It's a rejection of real church teaching. That's something that we get into in today's episode. And I hope what our conversation can can help you understand and, and help you see is that ultimately, this idea that NFP can be used with a contraceptive mentality is illogical. There is no logic here. Or rather, when you tease out the logic, there are a lot of problems. The other thing that I hope you take away from this episode is that Yes, we are three professional women in this space talking about something that is kind of our life's, that is basically our life's work. But ultimately, this is a conversation between three friends. And I hope that that inspires you to do some work yourself if this is something that you're curious about or something that you struggle with. And to encourage you to have these types of conversations with your friends. Tease these things out. This is not above your pay grade. You know, we, none of us on, on this episode have theology degrees. We just have a lot of curiosity and, a, and a, a thirst for truth. And on some fundamental level, that is something that every single human being shares to greater or lesser degrees. So I'm so excited to share today's episode with you. It is a long one. Uh, so, so buckle up a couple of housekeeping things. Number one, there are a couple of audio glitches around the 20 minute mark, 19 to 20 minute mark and around the hour mark. I apologize for that. I'm still figuring out audio editing and so on and so forth. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to let the perfect get in the way of the good. So just be aware that there are going to be a couple of glitches in your headphones and brace for that. Um, and also for my Lord of the Rings fans, I think we probably have about three or four endings. Uh, each one does get better than the last. So, um, you know, enjoy that ride. But I'm so excited to bring today's episode to you. And I hope it's an inspiration and an affirmation and an encouragement. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Total Wine Podcast. I'm pumped about today's episode. It's a special episode. It's my first guest's. And there's two of them. I figured I'd just go full core the first time out the shoot. So I'm joined by uh, <laughs> my, my good friends, uh, Mary Bruno, of course, my co-founder of Fanbase, and Bridget Basakra, the founder of Managing Your Fertility. So I've already done your bios in the intro, but Mary, if you can say hi so we know your voice. Hello. So happy to be here with two of my very close friends with my drink. I'm yes. ready to go. Bring it on. Yes. And Bridget. Hey, everybody. I'm so happy to be here and very excited to talk about what we're about to jump into. Yes. And um, yeah, so we are we are joining with um, adult beverages. I am joining with Guinness because it is St. Patrick's Day Eve. So liturgical living. Good um, woman. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> liturgical living. Um but yeah, so this, obviously, this is a topic that um, I have talked about for years. Mary and I have talked about for years, actually, uh, Mary, way back when uh, it was you and I who, whenever we watched this video and our mutual friend, Jen, this is kind of what got everything started. So oh my gosh, that's right. Yeah. You and I go way back. <laughs> that's right. I forget how far back it was back with uncharted territory. Yes, that's right. And that's, that's what started everything. And then it's like the gift that keeps on giving, like it's, we're still not done with it. Is it, a gift? you know, 
<laughs> well, no, not a good kind of gift. Yeah, no, that's like a a sarcastic gift. It's, it's the know? white elephant gift that you keep yeah. trading. Yeah. Um <laughs> it just won't go away. Please have this. Um and Bridget, we've been uh this is basically gonna be like a, a WhatsApp conversation episode because we talk about this stuff all the time in WhatsApp and the conversation between the three of us got started um as we started to see everything kind of in the Catholic Instagram social media influencer world where inevitably this contraceptive mentality topic comes around and then all of our DMs get flooded with very confused very frantic people and then we have to very calmly go out and say okay so here's the truth <laughs> um and we do we we talk about this a lot behind the scenes and just um support each other help each other because we're all nerds we all you know we all get into this in a big way so um yeah that's I guess the episode in a nutshell that's what you get to look forward to but um yeah. So I started in the last episode, I basically shared how I got, you know, how this have impacted me personally, but I thought it'd be cool if we just started with the three, with you two, uh, Mary and Bridget with how this has impacted you personally as well. So Mary, you want to go first? Yeah. I, I, I don't think I get nearly as many DMS as y'all, but this is something that I li- like, I just, I feel this every day. And I think for, for me, contraceptive mentality, like those terms, th- that's still, it's like a new term to me. I get it now that we've had so many conversations, but I feel like things, I need to like think, have things really simplified <laughs> for me, like the way that I'm experiencing it, where I am living, like in my own community, like, I don't think my friends or the people that I know, I, I'm in the South y'all. I'm like super big Catholic community here in, down in New Orleans. I don't think those people recognize that term. I think it's more interpreted as like this, this assumption that just having more children is better. The whole large families are like, this is, this is how you're open to life. And, and, and all of my friends, I'm not saying this is a a bad thing. It's, It's not, but just all of my friends have at least six children. It's just the way that it is. It's just kind of like Catholic culture down here. So all of them just kind of, they congregate together. Right. Um, and, uh, it's just, I feel like this, this, uh, this nature of just, this is what is good. This is what is best. I mean, my husband, Chris, um, went to a parish, they're doing like a sensing thing and he, they want to hear like from the parishioners, um, like, what are they looking for? And this one guy mentioned something, he was talking about, I don't even know what he was talking about, but he was talking about some other family and he was like, yeah, they have seven children. So, you know, they're really good Catholics. And it's just this idea that this is just kind of like push forth this, this sense that I feel as infertile, um, that I'm just not included in this, mm-hmm. that, that my open to life, my fruitfulness doesn't count because it doesn't come in the form of children. And it's not, this is subtle. This is not something that I, again, it's kind of got the same thread as contraceptive mentality, or it's one of its tentacles, you could say. Um, but that's what I feel. And I feel very, <laughs> it's not a weird word to use. I, 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 I love it, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got like... a lot of tentacles. Um, so I'm feeling it in the sense of isolation from others. Like I know how fruitful and open to life I am, but it's not, it doesn't seem like it's, 
it's understood across the board. And if I am called to be fruitful in other ways than just having children, then so are other people too. I often wonder, like, follow the logic. Where does this leave me as infertile? You know, I really, I think when I have conversations with people who are, who believe in this ideology, it's like, um, you know, well, it doesn't count for you because it's not intentional. And I'm just like, but where does that leave me? Does that mean that I don't get to experience fruitfulness as a human? Because that's very fulfilling, right? So like, that's a good thing to offer the world. And then it feels good in us, you know, for us in return. And I'm just like, I don't think the logic is followed through there. I'm just really curious to think, do you really truly believe that I can't be fruitful because I can't have children? Yeah. I just don't think that that, that is thought through. Yeah. You know. And, and I think this is something that we've encountered, um, is that like you, like you just said, that infertility is kind of dismissed in this conversation because, oh, well, like you said, that doesn't count. You know, you didn't do anything like, this is just what it is. It, but yeah, it brings you back to this bigger question of like, well, well, what is that? What does that actually mean for me? Like our faith is logical. Our faith is sound. Our faith is reasonable. And so where does that leave you? And I think a couple of other things that you pointed out was like, I think the vast majority of people are like contraceptive mentality. What the heck does that even mean? Like you hear these terms thrown around and most people don't even know what it's talking about um, or what they're talking about. And then you get like the nerds like us who actually sit down and it's like, okay, what does this mean? And then we're like, oh, it's from this encyclical. And it's, it's related. It's because like, it's based on the premise that procreation is the primary purpose of marriage alone. And that goes back to the 1917 code of canon law. And if you want to dig into all that, go back and listen to episode eight of my podcast. Cause I went and I read chapter and verse of like canon law, catechism, all that stuff. So knock yourself out on that, uh, which is not what we're going to get into. But I, I think that what you're highlighting, Mary, is that it's kind of like in the air we breathe to a certain extent. It's something that we just yes. kind of take for granted. Yes. And we don't know where it comes from. And we're just like, oh, yes, if you're a good Catholic family, you have a lot of kids. I was actually talking with um, somebody recently who's Protestant and has nine children. And she made the comment. She was like, I'm actually more. She's jokingly. I'm more Catholic than some Catholics. Um, and she was told this by some Catholics. They were like, you're more Catholic than some Catholics out there. And I'm like, and I want as so it was not the proper context, but I so badly wanted to stop her and be like, because you popped out a bunch of kids? Like, how does that make you Catholic? Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't. So yeah, this whole idea that a good Catholic family is somebody who has a lot of babies. The thing for me is like, this is a prosperity gospel about people, you know? And this is where like this idea that children are blessings gets very twisted because it's like, oh, well, the more children I have, the more blessed I am. Like, uh, like they're not, it's not like you're accumulating wealth in the form of children. Like that's not, that's not what persons are for because then that's, you're using persons as a means to the end, to an end, which is your holiness, but you're using persons. And again, like coming back to you, like, where does that leave people like you, Mary? And I know people are like, oh, well, that's not that many. Like, look, one in eight women are infertile. 12 and a half percent. Like we want to put a percentage number on it. 12 and a half percent. One in 10 women struggle with PCOS. And I'm sure these numbers overlap. I don't know what the overlap is but like, and then one in four, is it women or pregnancies end in miscarriage? I, I've never, I've never clear. I've just heard one. I always know it's like 25%, one in four. Yeah. Like, these are not small numbers. 
Mm-mm. Yeah. These are big numbers. So yeah. Um yeah. It's they don't follow their own lo- logic, whether it comes no. to infertile women or on their own parts. Yeah. Like you're talking about the prosperity gospel. Yeah. I don't I don't think that's really thought through. Yeah. And we've done plenty of thinking. <laughs> so anyway, speaking of, <laughs> all right, Bridget, tell us how how you got like into roped into all this. Well, so I didn't watch the particular video that you guys had seen that I know um, went in circles, but I know different Catholic influencers, some speakers and priests had picked it up. And I, and I heard the term flung around that I was like, what is this? Um, and I think it was like in, in reading about it. And then when I listened to your episode eight, where you were just like, okay, well, reframe, like, am I doing everything wrong? I think that was something that really came through for me was like, wait a minute. Like if all of these, like, you know, not all like so many, like all of the good Catholics, but like a lot of people who I really respected and really liked seeing like the content of things they were writing about. And I was like, wow, they have really good things. Like, wow. They're just throwing out NFP. Like, am I doing something wrong? Did I listen to the wrong group of Catholics? What happened? Um, it was, it was just like jarring. And, and then to read into it, it didn't really make sense. Because it was like, well, this doesn't make sense that the Catholic Church is promoting an FP and recommending that this be used. But then at the same time, there's like a subgroup that's saying, no, you actually can't if you're like the good Catholics. And then I think like on a personal note too, for David and I, NFP has worked really well for us. And we haven't had surprise pregnancies and we haven't gotten pregnant like when we didn't want to, or we were shocked by, or took too long. Like I, I had issues in the beginning and those were, that was like a year long process of testing. And that was really great through NFP finding that out. But then in the process of using it, that wasn't my experience. So when I heard contraceptive mentality for me, I was like, oh, like, am I using this contraceptively? Because this is just like working for us. And I remember like David and I talking about it and we're like, well, hold on. No, because like, we're abstaining and abstaining is really hard. And we had to work through some serious struggles with sexual sin from our dating relationship where we weren't having sex, but we were not helping each other when it came to like sexually arousing each other clothes on. We were like, okay, we have to figure that out. And like, what's going on with that? And we talked about that together on my podcast. Cause it was just like this, this was so messy. And so it was like, well, those conversations were there. The discernment conversation was monthly at least because it was like, yeah, are we doing it for the right reasons? Like, does this make sense for us? Um, but I think it really kind of shook like my own foundation of discernment and prayer. And it was like these extra voices coming in and it was like rattling what I knew to be true and like causing me to question, oh, are we, are we doing this right? Wait, what is this? Like, oh my gosh, these are prominent people who are very respected in other areas um, of the faith. And they're saying this and this doesn't, wait, this doesn't make sense. Um, so that was, that was really hard, I think at first to grapple with, but then it was pretty quick for us to realize like this, this doesn't work. This argument doesn't work because when you follow it through, it just doesn't make sense. Like NFP is a sacrificial based system. Like we're not just, I'm not popping hormonal contraception or, you know, we're popping on a condom and calling it good. And we don't think about it anymore. Um, it was very much thought of in the process of using NFP for family planning. Um, so that was just a really bizarre but good experience because I think it really challenged me to see like, what are these, what are the nuances to this argument and where like people might find themselves really questioning or finding themselves freaking out thinking like, oh crap, I'm doing it all wrong. And it's like, okay, go back to your own story. 
go back to your own discernment, go back to your own prayer life, go back to your own marriage. Like, what are you called to do in your family? And what does fruitfulness look like for you? Yeah. And that's what I think people forget to do sometimes when they hear the contraceptive mentality. It's immediately like, oh, I'm shamed. I'm doing it wrong. I need to change my ways. And it's like, take a beat. Well, and it's interesting too, because from their point, the instinct is judgment. First, like, I know what's best for your marriage and when you should be having children and not. And then there's this assumption that not having children is somehow selfish. When having children could be selfish, it could be equally as selfish. Why is that part never talked about? There's no balance here. It's not like black. It's not just like this is always the most selfless thing to do to have a have a child or get pregnant. There's so many other things to discern that are that's the issue. You know, we're not saying it's it's not good to have children that babies are not blessings. Nobody is saying that. But responsible parenthood is a thing. We're not just talking about raising a child. We're talking about raising a child well. And there's there's a few different components that go into that. Yeah. And I, I went into a lot of that, like talking <laughs> the last episode, we have a party foul. <laughs> oh boy. Um, no, just a little spill. We're good. Um, anyway, <laughs> Bridget, you're like freaking out. Yes. This is called the total wine podcast. and We are just going to go with the flow. It's fine. Um, no, I was, I love it. Uh, this is great. Um, of course, now I just totally forgot what I was going to say. Um, you were talking no, about the, in your podcast episode. Yeah, no, the, the selfishness that you're talking about, like, it's not just you need to have, having children is not, is, is having children is very sacrificial. Like we just mm-hmm. had our third and he is going through like one hell of a sleep regression right now. And I am dying and it is, it's killer. Like, yeah, I'm having to like function on very little sleep and still love my family on very little sleep. Like this is asking a lot of me and I'm having to lean very heavily on God. So like, yes, having children is very sacrificial, but also, um, the reasons that you have children matter. Like, it's not just the ends. And this is a very Catholic thing. It's like means and ends. It doesn't matter if the ends are good. How did you get there? We care about that very much. The means do not justify the ends. And so if you're thinking about, okay, well, what are the selfish means of having a child? Well, uh, did you notice that your wife was tired and demand sex anyway? Super selfish, not okay. Um, Did you, like the example that I always think of is like Michelle Duggar. I remember when I was watching the show and she was talking about how she literally just wanted 20 kids It was literally about a number. And the heartbreaking thing was she had had multiple miscarriages. So at this point, she has more than 20 kids, just not physically on earth. And so for her, it was about having that physical on earth number of 20. And I was like, yikes, like that's not like, and I'm not saying that everybody's in that boat, but that's a selfish reason to have a child just because you want a number, you know, um, or because you can't make the sacrifice to abstain, right? Um, like you recognize that what's going on in your family life or because you don't want to spend the mental energy to uh, to really think about your situation. You're like, oh, God will provide. God will provide. Like he won't give us a baby if we can't have one. So we're just going to have sex right now and, and he'll just figure it out on the back end. Yikes. 
that's not how God treats us. God gives us free will. He gives us an intellect. He gives us, he gives us reason. And we are supposed to form these things and use them. Like we have a conscience, like we are supposed to govern our actions and, in you know, take in information so that we can make informed, healthy, moral decisions. And that absolutely comes into play here whenever we're talking about responsible parenthood. I always think, I was just going to say really quickly, whenever you hear the the thing, oh, God will provide, I kind of think about like an analogy, like you could have your child or you could walk across the street with your eyes closed and just be like, God will provide, but really just open your eyes. (laughs) Right. It's basically, it's a Christian scientist perspective. You know, that I can like do whatever I want. And then like, if God wants to keep me alive, he will. And it's where, where is your own free will in that? It doesn't exist. I think it's that fear of discernment and decision-making that is so Mm -hmm. prominent in all of this, that just as we were talking about it and, and preparing for this too, that it was just like, wow, throughout this, it's, it's this fear of actually making a decision. And if you mess up, I think there's a fear of mistakes too. Mm. Like, where is this shame that's coming in or this idea that like God's mercy won't be enough for you, maybe for somebody else, but not for you. Um, and you know, someone may say like, oh, that's not it at all. It's like, well, it's great to have faith and trust in God, of course. But like you said, he's also giving you free will and reason. And the church very intentionally doesn't give a list of what you can and cannot do or what are reasons for discerning to have a family or not, you know, whatever, whatever list you need, they don't provide it because it is on you to have a relationship with God and your spouse. And you need mm-hmm. to cultivate that and use it and make decisions. Yeah. And a lot of times you're discerning two goods, like to have a child, not have a child. It's not like a good and an evil. It's like, well, it's very dependent on like, where, where are you in your life right now? And what's going on and what's happening, your mental health, your lifestyle right now is there something really big going on financially I mean these are things you do have to consider and you may weigh them out and realize like yes God is bigger than all these things but you're being asked to grapple with them because maybe there's something he's asking of you to sit with or he wants to reveal something to you within that situation and through those hard conversations too I mean it's just so much more nuanced yes and I think when we lack the discernment conversation and frankly the training in the church too like we're, we're really doing a disservice to people in the church to be able to, to make decisions well. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely like a lack of, of catechesis, catechesis. I mean, most of the time when you talk about discernment, people are like, well, I already decided to get married. What do I need to discern? And it's like, okay, so let's define discernment and talk about like what that is and how it's like a daily living thing. Like it's something that you should be implementing moment to moment. Like, okay. I have kids. We watch frozen when she's singing the song about like, do the next right thing. Like that's a discernment question, right? What is the next right thing? What is God calling me to in this moment? And so it becomes, if we think about discernment that way, discernment is about living in the present moment, which is literally all we're supposed to do because father Jacques Philippe had the best way of describing it. He was like, when you live in the present moment, God is the eternal present. So when you live in the present, you have God, which means you have everything. I was like, oh, hot. like, I, you know, I've had to camp on that for a little while. Like, that's just a really beautiful way of thinking. But I think you're so right, Bridget. And this is why I'm so glad that like, we have our, like the three of us on here talking about this because we have infertility, 
surprise babies and NFP worked so well for you. You're like, wait, are we contracepting? Like, whoa. So we have these very three, three very unique perspectives, but I think what's common, the common thread for all of us is like, we have had to discern and it is so freaking messy. It is so freaking messy. Like we, you know, I'm on the other end of the spectrum, Bridget, we discerned trying to avoid twice and got two kids. And then we discerned trying to achieve and got infertility for a year and a half. Like what, what is, what is this? You know? And it's just, it's so, it, it just cracks me up when people are like, oh, well, you know, you can, you can like have control over your fertility by using fertility awareness. I'm like, first of all, you've never used fertility awareness. There is no control whatsoever. There is only understanding. And then like, when people tell that to me, I'm like, well then explain to me why when I was trying to avoid, I got two kids. And then when I tried to achieve, I didn't have a child for a year and a half. Explain to me how this works. And I know this is not every single situation, but even in your situation, Bridget, like just because it works for you doesn't make it contraceptive. And I loved like some of the conversations that you and I had initially where we were talking about this and the point that David brought up of like, either it works or it doesn't like, and I forgot how he worded it. Um, Hopefully I just uh, teased your memory, whatever the word is, sleep deprived. Anyway, I'm throwing that over to you. I'm trying to remember how he, how he had phrased it. I mean, cause he, Cause we, we have to, I mean, obviously, yeah, we've talked about this a lot, but then in the context of just like, okay, abstract, how does this even make sense? Contraceptive mentality. And I think it's like NFP just hangs out in the middle of this pendulum swing of like, yes. you either contracept or you have all these kids. It's like, well, NFP is asking you to live in the middle because yes, you might have it where it works really, works really well. Or sometimes it works well. Sometimes it does it. Sometimes it's highly stressful. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just always a stress ball. Sometimes it's never a stress ball. I mean, I don't think you never you never and always usually in the case of NFP, but, um, no, that's perfect. It is in the to, middle. He likes to distill it. He's just like, look, it's, it's either, yeah, it's either working or it's not working. Like this whole idea of like, okay, well maybe this. And then it's just like, don't add chaos to something that's actually distilled down to be pretty basic as far as yeah. its application and what yeah. the church is asking of you. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think my, my favorite, started, but we have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite thing is like that nfp like you said it's in the middle like you have on one end like secular world is like oh if you use nfp you're pregnant and then you have like this group of catholics are like if you use nfp it's so effective that you'll never have a child and i'm like this is how i know we're doing it right <laughs> yeah honestly if you get hate on both sides it's like clearly there, there's something mm-hmm. right that's going on and a priest said that yep. to me recently he's like well clearly if you're getting hate on both sides you're doing something right and i was like haven't thought about that in a long time. Thanks father. Like I needed yes. that reminder. Cause I was just like, what is wrong with people? And he was like, <laughs> no, the devil and things. And I was like, Oh God. I know. What is it that, that, um, the errors come in pairs. Uh, mm. when is when Satan, I, I heard this and I forget from where it might've been from Leah Moeller. Life is Leah knows on Instagram. I might've seen her share this, but that, um, and I forget she was quoting somebody and I forget who she was quoting. But yeah, that, that errors come in pairs. Satan always introduces errors in pairs and there's all, they're always at both extremes. And so this is the perfect example. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm like, I'm like, no, this is the right way to do it. It's just, it's not clean. There's no, 
Yeah. That's the thing when you share it on social media, especially you have your cute graphic or whatever, and you're talking about how, you know, holiness is a large family or, you know, holiness, whatever, like whatever phrase you want to use. It's like, this doesn't, you can't distill it to this. And there's so much more nuance here. And, and not to say, hopefully everyone's buying into like, okay, a social media graphic, but I think that's what starts to happen in a lot of the conversations that we have, or we internalize and we just think like, oh, it's this or it's that. Okay. There's no middle ground, but then when you experience a more nuanced story or your own journey is really kind of wacky and all over the place, it's like, uh, wait, this, these arguments don't work anymore. What just happened? And that's what, now where do I fit in? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what like infertility really forced me to look at some of these things. Cause I was just talking to somebody. I was, if I wasn't infertile, I feel like my Catholic bubble never would have been popped. I like, I would absolutely still be in that like large family Catholic bubble. So I'm I'm grateful in the sense that it really called me to look closer at these things. I think this is also calls us to look at the uniqueness of each individual and each individual marriage. Look at the three of us and our unique paths to holiness. They look completely different. Our crosses are completely different with good reason that we're never going to understand this side of heaven. But um we're all different. And I think it also like what I've been thinking recently about is unity. Like when God calls us to be one, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to all look and act and do the same exact things. It means we're supposed to be united in heart and spirit and like our core beliefs, our love for Jesus Christ. We're united in that. And the rest is variations of, of something really good. Like our, our individual paths are unique and they're all really good. They just look different and no one is better than the other. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot too. Like how there's, whenever we see differences, we want to put it on a hierarchy and we do this in so many different areas. A lot, like one of the areas that I've been thinking about this a lot is whenever we talk about like libidos and how stereotypically men have a higher sex drive, women have a lower sex drive in comparison to one another. And so we're like, well, you know, because there's a difference, we want to think that one is automatically better than the other or above the other. And it's like, no, they're just different. But we do this with so many different things. We do this, um, you know, sometimes as women, whenever we get like the competitive compare and despair type of thing going on, that because somebody is different, okay, well, what they have is better. Therefore, I'm bad. We do, you know, we put everything that's different on a hierarchy. But no, like if you go back to Genesis before the fall, Man and woman were just different, but they were partners. They were helpmates. Like scripture clearly uses these terms that are, that are equal. They were equal before God while they were different. And so this hierarchical nonsense is a result of the fall that we don't, we don't really have the ability or we struggle with the ability to hold differences and uniqueness as, as good without saying, well, one is better than the other, you know? And that's, I think that's where we get screwed in a lot of areas. Yeah. And we have a need for both. That's like, I have a lot to learn from the large families. The large families have a lot to learn from my family too. Because you taught me so much. I don't even know where to start. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, I love to joke around and say infertility taught me how to be fruitful. You know, like, because initially it sounds so weird, especially to some of these families, I'm sure, but like, it really did. It really pushed me out of my comfort zone. And we, we need that from each other. Yeah. Well, and what, what you taught me was that even though I have biological children, I am not absolved from the call to be spiritually fruitful. 
like to the call to spiritual motherhood. And, you know, it was something that I didn't really think about in like tangible terms, but like, I always think of my grandmother, my dad's mom, she was just such an awesome lady. Um, but she was very, she had four children, but she like had so many kids, you know, and that was definitely an example, but it didn't really click in my head until I met you. And I started talking to you and I realized like spiritual motherhood and like what that was. And then I could go back to her example and see that that was what she was doing and, and realize like, Oh, this is how I can incorporate it. This is what that means. This is what that could look like for me. And it opened up like a whole new, a whole new world. Yeah. I just think if if every single person is just like, has this goal to just have as many children as they can what are they missing out on like there's so much more new life that god wants to bring and create through us but if we get stuck and honed in on this one thing how are we gonna like learn that i don't i don't know i just think it's becoming like it's whole like becoming whole the fullness of of who god calls us to be well it's also limiting god because it's saying that the only way we can be holy is by having a bunch of kids it's like well no (laughs) that's one way but it's not the only way for everybody at all times yeah and i'm already on my second drink so here we go Ooh, (laughs) i am still super like uh what's your what's the abv on that i don't even know what this is it just (laughs) it's just in my phrase or my fridge i don't ladies and gentlemen we are drinking jungle juice (laughs) it says pineapple vodka seltzer real juice that's what it says i don't know what it is (laughs) the commercial interruption i was gonna say intermission terrible product placement because we don't even know the name (laughs) i'm not getting this sponsor oh well oh well maybe next time I'm still nursing my 4% Guinness. I know the ABV on this. And you know the name of it. So there oh, you I go. Do. I do. Yes, I do. Maybe yes. Guinness is going to sponsor you. Love Maybe. Here's your chance, I, Guinness. I would love that so much. That would be great. The only thing, it would, it would only be topped next time I do a podcast like this with friends in the evening. I will pour myself a glass of Glenmorangie and see if they will sponsor me. And then I will be a very happy woman. What does that even mean? I don't even know what that is. I don't is. know what that is. Oh, I'm sorry. Glenmorangie is a type of scotch. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I should have known that because I know you love scotch, but for some reason I was thinking wine. When I drink wine, I no. just go to sleep. No, Glenmorangie. it's nighttime. So. Yes. Glenmorangie is my favorite scotch. So next time I do a podcast like this, I will be very strategic and see what happens. Anyway, back to our regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> I just know. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Bridget. No, you go, Bridget. Okay. I just, I just keep thinking like if a person who really believes that people who have more children are holier, like, like if you follow the thought through, like, do they really, do you really believe that? Or is that something that like, you know, maybe you're not married and you don't have kids. And so that sounds like an ideal, but like once you're married and you're experiencing learning sex with your spouse, and now you're trying to discern family size, like, is that is that really, is that fr- like, do you, do they, do they experience freedom or is there a lot more scrupulosity or fear? I don't think they're thinking play? it through. That's why I think you're start, talking about falling through the logic. I don't think it's conscious. I think it's just so ingrained. It's just, this is what you do. I don't think they take the time to think through that far, you know? Yeah. And I just imagine too, like, I'm not trying to be like a, those people thing. I'm just trying, you know, it's like, 
I'm trying to think through like, how, how are you walking through this? And do you actually experience freedom in thinking this way? Or is it like you are in your Catholic bubble, you are in your group. And if you were to break free from the group or like not think in this way, are you exiled? Are you kicked out? Do you have to pick a new parish now? Like what's at risk? What's at stake? When you well, I have, well this, you're in a you know? cult, not a religion. So, <laughs> well, I kind of have an example of this actually. I have a client. I'm a, I'm a Korean practitioner for those that, that don't know. And one of my clients right now is in her early 20s. And so all of her friends are getting married. And it's this devout Catholic group. And I've seen her like five or six times. And her wedding is getting closer. And so she's stressed out about a lot of different things. But like, there's also like a wedding every month. But I've noticed this, which keeps coming up in our appointments, is she feels this pressure to have children right when she gets married because that's what all of her friends are doing. It breaks my heart to see her wrestle with this because I can tell she doesn't feel the freedom to even like, she feels like, like she's discerned this with her fiance, but like she doesn't feel that freedom of her discernment to like, to be comfortable and at peace with her discernment. So like, she's not getting kicked out of anything, but there's like, she doesn't feel free within her friend group. So I just, it's, 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 it really breaks my heart. And I'm just like, this is between you three, God and the two of you. It, it literally doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. You guys make this decision for yourselves. Yeah. Well, it really breaks my heart. Yeah. And here's the thing. If you use NFP selfishly, it will get rooted out that selfishness. Oh yeah. Because I think a lot of times you hear that. It's like, well, I've got to be my brother's keeper. Like we've got to call each other out. It's like, no, this is not something where you cast judgment because there's a, there's a big difference between actually checking in on someone. If you are concerned about them or you're concerned about something going on with them versus just being like, wow, you don't have kids yet. What's wrong with you? Like, do you not understand church teaching? Are you contracepting? You know, I think it's, um, it's, it's just sad. It's just so sad to to see to see this well and I wondered too like because there's a lot of ideologies that I feel like kind of walk hand in hand here and I'm gonna make a dramatic like generalization um when I say this but like okay so we're talking about following the logic and this is something that I've like I've spent a lot of time like following the logic with like procreation is the primary purpose of marriage right which is kind of what all of this is rooted in um, first of all, I actually thought about this today as I was like thinking about doing this episode, I was like, Ooh, here's a zinger. Um, this ideology is actually rooted in a rejection of church teaching. Hmm. If you think about it. And if you go back and listen to my previous episode, you can hear all about how and why, um, <laughs> shameless plug. Um, but it, it's, it's a rejection of the compendium of church teaching, it's, you're actually like cherry picking and taking things out and saying, I, I want to go back to this other place because it's, it confirms what I think. And I'm like, y'all that's Protestant. Um, but anyway, but there's a lot of ideologies that, that come with this. So if you follow the logic through with procreation as a primary purpose of marriage, okay. So the only thing that is necessary and matters within sex is male ejaculation, because that's the only thing that's needed for procreation. Um, Female orgasm creates an environment that is really hospitable to sperm, but it's not necessary for procreation. Um, So automatically, like you have this primacy, you have male domination, 
which is a product of the fall. Um, which like, you know, that's the line where God tells Eve, you know, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall lord it over you. Male domination came after sin. Um, so you Genesis have three sixteen for those who are wanting biblical Genesis proof. Is... Hmm. I, I don't know why I was thinking like, how could that tie into John three sixteen? Anyway, you um, know what? That was something <laughs> David had mentioned, and he was just like, "Oh my gosh, Genesis three sixteen, John three sixteen. and I was like, "David, time to get you a PhD okay. <laughs> <laughs> to, to keep going with your train of thought. Yeah, okay. Orgasm so doesn't matter. The orgasm doesn't matter. Um, so the, the male sexual urge is the only thing that is primary, but then sex, sex is fundamentally reduced to something purely utilitarian. And so having sex is something that that we are not different from the animals. So all of a sudden, like you, so many different things unravel, like what, how in the heck is song of Solomon in the Bible? It's a bunch of sexual euphemisms that are allegories for God's love for us. If sex is nothing more than a utilitarian function of uh, propagating the species, it cannot hold this deeper mystery that is also this allegory of the triune love of God, right? So that's and gone. don't have sex on infertile days. Yeah, no, that's the thing that really fruitful. kills me. Like, I'm going to be fruitful on infertile days. Please explain, because yes. my hundred percent are infertile days. Yeah. So if it's like, if if procreation is the primary purpose of marriage and primary purpose of sex, like, and you're supposed to be making a lot of babies, you actually have to chart your cycle to know when you're fertile, because that's when you should be having sex. So I just want to hear that explained, but, but really, if this is the dynamic that is set up, procreation is the primary purpose of marriage. The only thing we need for procreation is ejaculation inside a vagina. Okay. Um, male domination, all this type of stuff, like fundamentally you get a recipe for spousal abuse fundamentally at the end of this. And I've seen this, like I was, I, a couple years ago, I went on this rampage of like a bunch of memes with, you know, contraceptive mentality, because if I don't find something to laugh about here, I will cry. Um, and I have, but I prefer to laugh. Um, and somebody commented on Facebook on one of them. And she said that this particular priest who also did this video um, told her that refusing her husband was a sin against justice without any nuance whatsoever. And I was just like, that's literally spousal rape. If you cannot say no, your yes means nothing. Your Mm -hmm. yes means absolutely nothing. If you cannot, if you do not have the right to say no. And this is when I I really started thinking about this. I was like, okay, literally you have to be able to say no to sex at any time for any reason. Both spouses have to maintain this right. doesn't mean that you do. You have to maintain the right to say no at any time for any reason, because otherwise your yes means nothing. Your yes is given under duress. Therefore, it's not total and it's not free and it's not fruitful as a result of that. And it's not faithful. It's slavery. It's literally slavery. Now, obviously, it's probably not going to look or feel that way in every case. But if you literally do not have the right to say no to your husband, your yes means nothing. And I started thinking about this. I was like, that is so antithetical to the way that God loves us. 
God loves us so much that he gives us free will. He gives us the ability to say no. He gives us the freedom to say no. Why? Because he values and wants and desires our love so much that he will risk our no. Because only then will our yes mean something. Only then will our yes be love. And it's exactly the same way in the marital relationship. Like, I have to, I have to know that I can say no at any time for any reason. And the beautiful thing is, is like, once I know that, I'm like, okay, yes, let's go. You know, like that's freedom. That's kind of hot. hot. Okay. I like this. Um, but, but that it's just, it's so devastating. And all of this stuff is tied up together. All of it is tied up together. And that's where, that's where we have our WhatsApp support group for the three of us, because we, (laughs) (laughs) we encounter, we, we see the 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 what's the word i'm like oh my gosh y'all oh see it for what it is no the 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 carnage there we go we we see the carnage the bad fruit that is the fruit of this ideology like when you follow it out to its logical conclusions and you see all the things that have to be true if this is true it is so destructive it's so rotten And it's so, it's so hard. Like I, there's been like DMs and things that I get from, from women. And it just, it's heartbreaking. Mary, like what you're talking about with your client, like it's, it's heartbreaking. Like for, for us actually like getting out there and talking in this space, we're the ones who deal with the carnage in private because women know they can come to us and talk to us about this stuff. And it's hard. Like, I'm just going to be totally honest. It is exhausting because it is so painful to be in that space and to encounter that kind of pain and to be powerless to do anything about it. All you can do is pray, which is not nothing, but it feels like nothing. It feels like nothing. I would love to just flip a switch and have everybody be like, okay, I'd love to be a switch and go back flip a switch and go back to before the fall. Let's be honest. If that's what I'm going to, if that's the road I'm going to go down, that's, that's where it ends. <laughs> I think what's hard too, is that, you know, for messages that come through and questions, these are genuine. These are people mm-hmm. who genuinely want to make the best yeah. decision. They're desiring holiness. They're desiring to be a saint. They're trying to figure it out. These aren't people who are trying to find the loopholes. I mean, like, yes, do I know all the ins and outs of their hearts? No. But I think the fact that they're willing to come forward and ask questions, I don't think they're looking for loopholes. I think they're desperate for answers. Mm-hmm. And I experienced that. I mean, like I experienced that to a level too, in my own sort of just like, what is the truth on this? Because this is really starting to stress me out. There wasn't this sense of peace. And that's when I was just like, something's off here. Like there yeah. should, there should be peace in this, in this thinking and this ideology and there isn't. So what's going on? Yeah. And it well, does go ask questions. Yeah. And it goes against what John Paul II has written. And I'm just like, okay, here is a saint who has written text, theology of the body, love and responsibility, speaking so much to these issues and like, what, we're just going to throw it away. We're not going to listen to him because what he's, he's post-Vatican too. Like, I'm sorry, this is, this is just wild. I mean, like we have so much goodness and good teaching that we need to make this more readily available. And you know, I, th- I, th- I think as an aside, I- I'd really love to see more, um, 
Catholics speaking up about this and talking about it, linking to good resources, having conversations. It doesn't mean you'd have all the answers and fights online, but just share it with people so they can understand what's going on, what their options are. Yeah. You know, yeah, to be able to talk about responsible parenthood more like the same group. Yeah. yeah. It's in humanity yeah. Vitae. It's right there. Yeah. But why is it just one side of it? Well, and it's also, it's not even just because Pope Paul VI is a saint too. It's not just that a saint said it. It's that somebody said it while they were on earth, while they were human and, and flawed, but the church at the church has upheld it. That's the key. The church, yes, like absolutely. After, absolutely. after their death, the church wasn't like, this is a bunch of hogwash and we're just going to kind of scrub this from the record or just like label it a heresy. No, this is like upheld church teaching right. that a saint said. Right. Um, and it, and it's yeah. prominent. I mean, it, it hasn't yes. been corrected. You know what I mean? I think that's the other piece to this. And I think, I think John Paul II really was so inspired in his writings and he knew what was needed. I mean, God knew what was needed. Maybe he didn't fully understand what was needed for a time such as this, right? I mean, we're seeing the ramifications of misunderstanding of morality, human sexuality, and within the church, this division, this understanding and misunderstanding around what it means to be a good Catholic or not a good Catholic. What does holiness mean? And we're trying to distill it down to a list when it's not a list. You don't get to have a list. I mean, yes, you have to follow church teaching and you need to follow the commandments. Absolutely. But there's no list around, okay, well, this will make you the better Catholic than the man sitting next to you in the pew. Yeah. So I think that's just what's wild. Then we're just a bunch of gospel era Pharisees. Well, and no lists for grave reasons, which was intentional. Like the church isn't stupid. God's not stupid. (laughs) If it had to be like, they would have given, he would have given reasons. Yeah. yeah, you cannot find them because they don't exist. Yeah, it was meant I think to too, be discerned. Yeah, I think too. Like Emily, as you were talking about, you need to be able to say no for whatever reason. I I know there are arguments, and I could hear what pop in my head of like, well, but uh, that could be for very selfish reasons. And it's like, well, sure, of course, any more than you yeah. may decide we're not going to have children, and it's going to be for a selfish reason. But again. God gives you free will to go on that journey and it might be a painful one. And you might wish that it hadn't been 20 years or whatever length of time, or it might've been two years or whatever, but that's the journey you go on. And that's how God is going to be able to, um, you know, I don't like to say use. I've been thinking about this more like God doesn't use us. He gives and receives with us. Someone brought Thank that up you to for me. saying that. Oh my God. Yeah, I, I hate yes. too. You know, so anyway, but my point is like, God can use these, even the selfishness that may be in your heart and redeem it. Like, yeah, yeah, you might say no to, you know, your husband may say no to you for sex for the wrong reason or a selfish reason. Okay. But that's an opportunity in which you'll grow in love and you're going to have to grow in communication because at some point it's going to come up and you're going to say, Hey, you're saying no every night of the week, what's happening? How can I love you better? And that goes for both men and women. And it's a yes. challenge to love each other better. That's what it's going to bring out. And I think we just forget yeah. that because we get so scared that a yes. no is per- a no is never permanent. Yeah. I it's think it's just not in this context. I think kind of what you're touching on, Bridget, we we have a really warped understanding of like repentance and conversion. We really do kind of err on the side of condemnation as default. Like we are so afraid of sinning that we ultimately are like afraid of living. And, and Jesus said, he, he's like, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And in part, he's talking about here and exactly what you're saying. Like people are so afraid. They're like, well, you can do this for selfish reasons. And I'm like, I hate to bust your bubble, but you are selfish about a lot of things. And if marriage is doing its job properly, 
you're going to become aware of this selfishness. And then marriage is the apparatus within which you work through that. That's the whole point. You are a selfish creature. We are selfish creatures. This is just kind of what we are. This is what we do. But we need a framework within which to work through that and and work on our selfishness. And that's why we have confession. That's why we have, that's why marriage is a sacrament for Pete's sakes. Like we need grace. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like we get caught up in the fairy tale story, you know, like, for, like, okay. And they lived happily ever after and there's no change. Yes. There's nothing, nothing happens. And it's like, your story is just getting started. Yes. This is where the rubber meets the road and not in a condom sense. Because you've been <laughs> one, but you're, you're on the journey together and you're going to have to figure it out and you're going to fall. You know, that doesn't mean you intentionally seek out falling, but you will fall. And I think that is really hard. And what I, what I see in a lot of the, the arguments around contraceptive mentality using NFP wrong, it's this just huge fear of screwing up and that you could fail. It's like, yeah, yeah, you might, but this is like where you have opportunity to invite God into it. And just to read, oh, (laughs) thanks. Wrap paper, scissors. Let's go. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I just want to say one quick thing, just to reiterate too, about selfishness. The supposition is that achieving pregnancy is the selfless thing to, am I saying that right? Yes. But I think it, it, to, to understand that it could be selfish either way, puts you on neutral ground. It's not just automatically the more selfless thing to achieve pregnancy. Yep. It, it just depends on the individual circumstance. Yeah. If, if you understand that kind of in more neutral ground, I think more ready to discern because you got to be like, okay, well, what is the more selfless act here? Yeah. So like just in, in my own particular situation, like I've had three C-sections and pregnancy for me is really, actually like, I kind of wonder if I might have like prenatal depression, like after my last pregnancy, just thinking about the difference between the way that I think when I'm pregnant versus I'm not like, I, I actually really wonder if there's something else going on. And so I have three children um, C-sections get, the recovery gets worse, the more you have. So, uh, you know, like in my head, I'm balancing two things. I'm like, um, on the one hand, nine months of pregnancy is a relatively short amount of time, but it's a very intense amount of time. And, you know, recovering from a C-section, the worst of it is like two, three weeks, again, a short amount of time, but an intense amount of time. And it's like, if I'm going to put my family through that, if I'm going to put myself through that, it's like, yeah, I have to think very carefully about what is happening in the present moment. If I'm going to say yes to that. And it absolutely in our case would be a very like generous, loving, selfless decision to be like, for, you know, for whatever's going on in our family to be like, uh, we can't do that right now. Like, we're looking at a year of stuff. We can't do that right now. You know, like I would, I would probably have to do more intensive therapy, which of course insurance doesn't cover. So like, there's so many things that this touches on that, you know, it's, it's one thing like at the beginning of marriage, which when I first got married, I was like, oh yeah, I want four or five kids. Now I'm on number three. And I'm like, we could very possibly be done. And I mean, I don't know, because it's not like I've planned this at all. <laughs> I have three kids and it's like, well, yep, no, they are all here by the will of God. I can attest to that. Yep. Anyway. Um, 
but yeah, when it comes to like me actually like making the decision and talking with my husband and like, what is the love? Like there are serious factors here. And Mary, I know this is something you and I talk about a lot that we don't really talk about in Catholic circles, like the mental, emotional, physical health of a mother and what that actually means and, and that it actually matters. Um, one thing I did want to just interject in here really quick. I think we have done a, excuse my French. It, you know what? It's going to come up. This is my podcast. I do what I want. We have done a piss poor job of basically equating NFP to contraception because we want to compete. And so like, I can, I like, this was literally <laughs> going through marriage prep. I definitely had the feeling of like, the people who were giving us this were like, please, for the love of God, use NFP so you don't use contraception. You're going to have the most sex. You're going to have great sex. You're only going to have to abstain six days a, a cycle and, and you'll be able to perfectly plan your family. Like they were selling us a total bill of goods. Mm-hmm. So it was sold as Catholic contraception. And I, and I will say this, like, that's wrong because it's not what it is. And in Humanae Vitae, like Paul VI is very clear about that. Um, but I will, the reason why I want to bring this up is because I understand why to a certain degree, now if you think about it for five seconds, I don't understand why you continue with this thought process, but I understand why you would say that NFP can be contraceptive because that's kind of how the church packages, packages and sells it right now. Like if I just like, I'll just like, I'll own that. Like, yes. Absolutely. And I think you're right on that note. Yeah. And I think this is where some of the confusion may be coming from. And then you throw on the term contraceptive mentality because it sounds good. And it sounds like it would fit well to this idea of, oh, it's Catholic contraception. Like you can Mm -hmm. do it. It's natural. The church allows for it. Um, But it is marketed very poorly. Yes. Because when you ask someone who uses NFP, they're not going to say like, oh yeah, it's so easy. And it's so great. Like, you know, even with our story, it's like, oh, it's hard. Like there have been so many challenging conversations and so many wonderings and ponderings of like, are we doing this right or not? Like, what does this make sense for us or not? What are we doing? Like, you know, I'm the the one in four that had miscarriage as my first baby. So like, there's, there's no conversation about that either in the context of NFP. Like, what do you do with that when you're, when you're using NFP? And so the, the real story starts to come through and there's a total disconnect between the marketing and then people actually using it. And then you feel totally lied to. And you're thinking, yep. what on earth is this thing that is marketed poorly? And also I can't find it on common Catholic websites. Like, is this legitimate? I understand why people turn to contraception. Which is yeah. why we have jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Famous plug, fanbase.org, managingyourfertility.com. You're welcome. <laughs> amen yes no it's true it's true um yeah that we we've 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 identified the problem and we're like screw this we're gonna market it and repackage it the right way for what it is yeah i know let's pat it can be hard too i'm not gonna lie because because it has been you know marketed as like catholic birth control um and it's not um it can be really intimidating sometimes to talk about it and then be like well and you know sometimes you might you might actually have a surprise pregnancy or won't always go as planned. Or you might find out that you have infertility and you're navigating that, or you have really hard time with sex, whatever. It's like, well, that's kind of hard to say out loud because I'm pretty sure no one has ever told you this before. And people can be shell shocked 
by the fact oh, that see, this is their reality. Yeah. Well, that was my reality. You know, like having surprise babies, like having two weeks worth of abstinence and being told to expect six days. Like I, and also getting married with the obligation sex message. And so two weeks worth of abstinence, I thought I was being a horrible wife and I wasn't charting properly. So I was like, well, we need to be having more sex. So three months into marriage, we had a surprise baby, you know, I mean, like, oh, and by the way, when I told my husband, I was like, do you think that I like need to give you sex? He was like, no, I was like, oh, we should have talked way sooner. <laughs> um, yeah, the, yeah, seriously. Like all these different conversations, have them with your spouse. Yes. If you're thinking it, yep. say it out loud to your spouse, because even if you're not on the same page or you are on the same page, it's so much better to talk about it than guess with NFP or yep. try to DIY your charts. It doesn't work. Well, and the thing is, is like, I didn't realize that I believed the obligation sex message. It's so much in the Me air neither. we I breathe. It's yeah. so much in the air we breathe. Like we just, it's, you're not, I wasn't even aware of it until after we had our second kid. And then I was like, wait a minute, something's off. Something's mm -hmm. not right. And I'm realizing like certain that I have a mentality about this that is not what I want. That isn't right. And then I, and then I talked to Nick and I was like, Oh, okay. So yeah, you're not a schmuck. I married a good man. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there are layers to this conversation, like yes. tentacles, Mary, you were saying, yes. because it, it really, you know, where, I don't know, you, you were talking in your first podcast episode, the bad fruit. It's like, there are many roots to this yes. tree. Yes. And we'll talk about low libido. I mean, and yeah. this, this idea of sacrificial love, this could yeah. be a tentacle. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. it's so it, it misunderstood. Yeah. It all factors I mean, in. if you yeah. don't have that choice, if you're, you, you can't say no, your yes means nothing, but you're doing it anyway. And you wonder why you don't have desire to have sex. Well. Because your body and your brain are working precisely as they were designed. It yeah. shuts down when you're being yeah. used. Well, we just can't throw out the science. You know, I'm yeah. not saying like science trumps all. No, but it is integral. It works together. Yeah. Faith and science work together because they, they do. The church has never thrown this idea out. So to understand how your body works to, you know, if it's pelvic floor therapy, if it's talk therapy, whatever it may be to help you understand your own body. And then to understand in the context of your faith, you're going to be more integral. You're going to be more whole and, and able, I think, to have these conversations and make sense of this and to be able to detect, like, if something's coming out as like contraceptive mentality, you're like, wait, that, that doesn't, no, that's not true. Yeah. Like, I know, yeah. I know what I'm working on. I know myself. I know what the church teaches. I'm going to take a beat. Yeah. I feel like I'm in the thick of it. I don't feel like I've figured that out. Like I'm in the thick of. We're all I'm in the thick of it. it. <laughs> you know? Which is so good that I think like it can sound like, oh yeah, like we, we came through on the other side. I'm like, well, I'm still in No, it. we, yeah, we're, worried. we'll be on the other side when we're six feet under. Um, mm -hmm. As long as we are still breathing, we are still in the thick of it. So you know, we will, we will never have it fully figured out, but in the meantime, so I I've had like these checks sometimes I'm like, so technically it will always be a case of the blind leading the blind. Whenever I'm like doing any work that I do in this space, <laughs> there's a certain level of blindness, but at the same yeah. time, like, I'm like, okay, well, God, you know, he's got this all set up for a reason this way. Like, yeah, we are a little bit blind leading the blind, but, um, yes, to bring this back, we're getting a little tangential, which is fine. Um, no, it just, it, it is infuriating and it is exhausting because ultimately like we're arguing about something that is illogical. 
that when you go back to church teaching, when you look at the science, when you look at how the body works, when you understand both the male sex drive and sexual functions and the female sex drive and sexual functions and how these things work together, how fertility works together, that men are always fertile. And the only reason why we're hyper-focused on female cycles is because we are different throughout the month. Um, but, but how these things were so beautifully, intentionally, purposefully designed and that trying to find some kind of reintegration in a world that is fundamentally disintegrated, it's messy and it's hard. And I wish everybody would just like, just be fine with being messy. Like, can we all just be kids again and go play in the mud? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't know where that popped in, but I mean, we're supposed to be childlike. This is what it is to be childlike. Children ask why questions. They get dirty. They make mistakes. And then as soon as they do, they look to their parents. I made a mistake. What do I do about this? And then the parent is there to teach, right? Like to teach and and, and direct and so on and so forth. And I think that so much of this, like we've been talking about how, you know, people struggle with, with making mistakes. It's ultimately like, if you have a hard time making mistakes and accepting your own weakness and frailty, like you have a very warped view of God, the father, like he's not your father. He's a despot. If he doesn't have mercy on your failings, you know, like that's, I don't, the more that I've like dived into this and, you know, done my own therapy work. And if you're curious about getting more into this, I cannot, I've mentioned him once or twice already, but father Jacques Philippe's, books searching for and maintaining peace and interior freedom just completely have completely transformed the way that I see God my father you know and what that actually means like what it means you know I know this is read at like every wedding so we just kind of take it for granted but go back and actually read first Corinthians 13 where Paul defines love love is patient love is kind. That's about the extent of my memory right now. But, you know, it bears with one another, believes all things, hopes all things. It endures. Like that's God. God is love. That's defining God, but it's also defining how we're supposed to love one another, how my husband is supposed to love me and me, him, you know. Yeah. Well, and our neighbor, and I just, I know we need to wrap this up, but this is something like I, like I said in the beginning, I'm really struggling with, with not just like my intimate friend group, but just our Catholic community is that like, and this is just, I'm just one person, but my perspective is that like one of the biggest like uh, things that the goal is, is working towards having children and it's not in loving your neighbor. And that is a concern for me because this is a mark of a true Christian, a true Catholic is like, love your neighbor. If love is not being communicated, and when you've said 1 Corinthians 13, I think it's somewhere around there, it's talk about if you don't have love, you're just clanging a gong. What is it? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And I feel like the gong is, hey, I got a lot of children. I'm just noisy. Just look at me because I have a lot of children. But like, if you're not loving, if you're not raising your children well, if you're not loving your neighbor, then there's something missing here. How, how fruitful are you really being if you're not just as focused on like, on loving yeah. that's something that I really get the sense of true. Well, and I think that this speaks so well, edu- like the, the education, like educating your children. Well, right. Like showing them yeah. what it looks like to love others around you. Almsgiving, like as they're getting older and you're teaching them, you know, like 
you know, it shouldn't solely be a focus on, okay, I have all these children and this is what it, I've completed my mission. It's like, well, that's probably one part of your mission and that's beautiful, but that's not the only piece to the puzzle. I mean, what, what happened that we've distilled your, your mission simply to have children. And again, as I say this to you, like children are a gift. And like we've said here, like we're not denying that fact, but you don't get to wave around as your holy card. Yeah. Like if that's your calling, that is your calling. And Mary, like what I like your point, like there's more there's, and it goes beyond that. What does it look like to love well beyond your family too? Because we are all called to do that. Mary, as you were talking, I was thinking like, we have a very incomplete and truncated understanding of the word procreation. We have reduced it to something purely biological, but procreation in order to be kind of what it's intended to be because we are embodied spirits. Yes, there is the biological element, the biological fact of procreation, but if there is not at the same time, also the spiritual aspect of of procreation happening simultaneously it's incomplete and it's truncated and we feel that like if it's just the focus on the biological it's like okay then we're just machines of production we're not person we're not human persons anymore we're just machines of production but procreation does have because we are embodied spirits it has that spiritual element as well and if we're not taking time to cultivate that, and again, we live in a fallen world. We are, it's disintegrated, right? The body, the spirit, like it, we're trying constantly to work towards bringing these things back together. And this is the big work of our life is, is reintegrating our, our bodies and our souls. And that sin has, has caused that rupture, but we're con- like, we're working. Holiness is about kind of bringing those things back together. Um, and, you know, thinking about like the, the incarnation and, and Christ becoming God, becoming man, like, what did it mean for God to be in a body, you know, and what does that, what does that mean for us? And of course, that's the whole kind of part of the crux of theology of the body as well is that delving into that mystery of the incarnation and what that means for us. Um, I was reading the read of God by Carol Houselander, which is so good, but she was talking about Jesus becoming man. And she said, Jesus on earth, God on earth. As, as Jesus was a man in love. And I loved that image that he just, I forget how she, you know, she, the, the book is, it's, it's basically poetry. It's not, but the way that she writes is just absolutely beautifully poetic. Um, but she, she described Jesus walking this earth as a man in love. And I want to go back and read the gospels now with that in my mind and just see Christ as like a man in love. And if you, if you look at how the only things that he would condemn were people who were hard of heart, who didn't want to change as the only thing he ever condemned, you know, it was, as long as people were willing to change, it didn't matter how sinful they had been. If they were willing to change, let's go, you know, follow me. Let me heal you. I'm here for you. That's it. That is the only prerequisite to receiving God's mercy and to receiving God's love is just, yeah, I'm, I'm done with this sinful mess. I'm going to, you know, it's, I, I'm probably going to keep struggling with it, but I want to change. I want to turn. That's what conversion means is to turn, but turning is not just about turning away from something. It's about turning towards something. And that's where Jesus comes in. It's like, he's like, 
hi, I'm on the other side. Like, turn around, look at me. Anyway, I'm going on a complete tangent here, trying to figure out a way to wrap this up. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's like with what we've talked about with how like people are afraid of making mistakes. Maybe that's just a good thing to kind of keep in our minds that Jesus walking this earth is a man in love. He's in love with us, with our souls, with our bodies, with who we are, with who we were made to be. That it's not about what we do or how many kids we have. It's about, did we say yes when he called us? That's it. That's really the sum total of holiness. And he even said it, you know, the people came to him and they were like, you know, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. And he's like, blessed is the one who hears the word of God and does it. Mm-hmm. And of course, like people are like, wow, Jewish, Jewish son dissing his mama. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? It's like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Who, who did that better than Mary? Tell me anyway. Um, he was, but he was, what he was doing was giving us the reason to praise his mother. It was not that she physically bore him. It was that she heard the word of God and did it. And that's right. And that's what we're all called to do. Yeah. Regard, like regardless of our circumstances, and not even regardless of them within our circumstances too. Like, how am I called to say yes within my own story, being a unique and unrepeatable person and my marriage will never exist, has never existed and will never exist again. That's how unique, if we're made unique and unrepeatable, so are our marriages and so are our families and our family structures. And I think that's something that we have to keep at the forefront in the process of discernment. And that should give us freedom, not totally freak us out. And if it yeah. freaks us out, you know, it's okay. We can be curious about that and wonder like, hey, why is that freaking yeah. me out? But really that is a place of freedom because then it's allowing us to actually say yes to God and not worry about what everybody else is thinking. Or if, you know, Nancy in the pew ahead of me is judging me based on my family size, because that's just a waste of time and brain space. And it, it looks different. It looks yeah. different for all of us. And thank God, I know. <laughs> thank God it, we're so yeah. unique. No, Bridget, as you were talking, like I, the way that you said it, I actually got excited. I was like, I was like, there will be no, I've said this before, but something about hearing you say it, there will be no marriage like my, why the heck would I ever want to do this the same as somebody else? Exactly. Like we have to like blow off, like blow out the walls and realize like, wait, I don't need to be in a box. I don't have to do it like everybody else. Like again, yes, you follow church teaching and like delving into your faith, of course, but really that's it. Yep. Now you get to go and live your calling and your vocation and you don't have to give a flying floop. It's funny you that you say doing. that because that's something that has brought me so much peace individually as infertile is that there is no one like me. So you're saying like the marriage, but there's not another Mary. There's only one Mary that mm-hmm. can serve as Mary does. Mm-hmm. And, and that's brought me a lot of, a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. Cause you have to remember both in that marriage. It's like you as individuals are unique and unrepeatable. And then as that one flesh, like you have an opportunity within your marriage to serve in a very particular way. What is your mission? What's your mission statement? You know, I think it's really important for couples to like get, get into it and figure out like, what do we live for? What are the things we stand for and go after it? Because then it helps you like focus back in like, oh yeah, I'm getting pulled in by all these things on social media or certain priests saying this, certain priests saying that this is blowing up on new cycles. Okay. Yeah. But what is my mission? What has God called us to? What do we, how are we going to respond to this? Don't ask me my family mission right now. It's first Peter, but I can't remember beyond that. And I need to go. You have a family mission. I'm like, our family mission is to to do yard work on weekends. (laughs) 
I love that. I've never thought of that ever, like a family mission statement. That's well, it just cool. like pops in my head. So it's probably the Holy Spirit being like, remember you have one. So as you're giving <laughs> out to people, tap, tap, like go read it, maybe frame it, put it in the main part of the house. Yeah, you call it get it. But I think it's just it. like, it's a creative way. I think just to like, again, enter into your own marriage, have fun yes. with it. Like, yes. this is a good, the fact that you get to have these opportunities to serve in different ways. Like I remember Emily saying like your greatest wounds will become your greatest glory. Yep. And you told me that. And I was like, whoa, like it was one of those things again. It's like, oh yeah, I think I've heard that. But it was just like in that moment, it was just like, this is seared on my heart because it is like, how is God going to use even the most painful parts of your story to give the greatest glory to him? And other people will benefit because when you're giving God glory, other, other people will benefit from it. And you do too. I think we forget yes. that. I think we forget that, that, you know, we, we focus so much on like, oh, I don't want to be selfish and da, 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 da. Every single one of us is the result of a thought of God. So we are very, we, you know, I know we, we are so afraid of, of thinking too much of ourselves, but true humility is honesty. Pride is a lie. Humility is honesty. And if we're honest about who we are, I, I heard this phrase one time and I'll wrap it up here that, uh, you know, we're not afraid of, of being small or something. We're afraid of, of being great. Like that's our biggest fear is, is, is being big and, and being great. I'm, I'm butchering the quote completely. Um, <laughs> But I remember, I remember hearing that and I was just like, yeah, no, it's true. We are, we are afraid of, of being great. And, and the humble person knows that it's not, it has nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with me. It has to do with me saying yes. And then letting the greatness be done in me. Mm -hmm. And Saint Saint Irenaeus, the glory of God is man fully alive. Yes. 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 I just found that quote like last week. So what good. in the world? That's crazy. Which is Jesus, a man in love. I love it. Love it. I love it. Thank you guys so much. Such a hopeful note. I'm just. Kind of, I know. I'm just, well, you know, because I think it was something that we really. I know we wanted to, and and to be a little more real and practical. But I just love that there's hope in this, and I think that's the beauty of not giving into the contraceptive mentality. Yeah. And like guard your heart and like figure out the places where the devil is going to poke at you. And he knows your weak spots, like in Ignatian spirituality, like recognize the areas where like, he's going to attack because he knows it's your weak point. Okay. How do you build up that weak point? And what do you need to do? So when these lies come at you, where, where's the truth that you can rest in? What scripture do you have? Like, what are, what are the books that you go to like Jacques Philippe and saying, okay, yep. this, this is what I know to be true about God. Yes. Amen. Yeah, no, this is, I, this is exactly, I, 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 I hope that people who are listening, the three of us, we're three quote unquote, can we call ourselves professionals in this space? I always feel weird about calling myself a professional in this space. Girlfriend, why don't we I'm just talk it. about humility? You are a professional. <laughs> oh, oh, called out, called out. But okay. But we're three friends talking about this type of stuff. And I, I just, the, the thing that I hope to pass on to everybody who listened is you can have these conversations too. You're listening to this conversation. You can have this conversation too. If you're tired and frustrated about all these types of things, like that's one of the things to build up. It's not, it's reading scripture, reading, like having these quotes that you can pull out. It's also having a good group of people around you who can support you. And I know that that is hard to come by, especially in this day and age. Um, 
we're all okay. I'm in Virginia. Mary's in New Orleans and, and Bridget, you're up in Minnesota. Okay. Mm-hmm. We do this. The, thanks to COVID, we can go online. And we met over Instagram, right? Yeah. yeah. Instagram can be used for good. I mean, I think it just can like, be used let that surprise you. Use it it can be well. used for good. But yes, I just, we, we are, we are three friends talking about this type of stuff and you can do the same thing. You can do it. So do it. Um, it's awesome. It's the best. Having, do having it. these types of, yeah, <laughs> in all of the ways, <laughs> do it in all of the ways responsibly. Okay. As long as you've discerned. As long as you've discerned. <laughs> there we go. All right. And you're married. And you're that married. too. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope it brightened your day and that you laughed as much as you learned. If you're enjoying the show and want more people to learn about what I share here, please leave a review and even share with a friend. I hope you'll join me again soon. Until then.